Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Pour my wine into glasses. This is my drunk report. Lots of wine. Bad bitches gonna leave our listeners in stitches. No, 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 no. Welcome to Whining <laughs> About History, the women's history podcast where two besties with breasties whine about women from history that you probably haven't heard of, but deaf should have, and make references to our, you know, like hate, emo, angsty playlists yep. from middle school and high school. Yeah. The, okay, honestly, that song is one of those that every now and then I come back to it. Oh, yeah. Or like, it'll like over pop and up over on and Spotify over. Randomly, and I'm always like, like yeah. this fucking song. Oh my God, that was my jam. Like, and it's for kind of forever my jam. Yeah, oh yeah. Like I, I instantly knew what song you were parodying. So I'm curious, like <laughs> listeners out there, like, do you know that song? Do, do we, you have absolutely no idea what we're talking about? I, I'm curious. I was going to say, it's one of my go-to, like, if I'm feeling really angsty and I just kind of need to, like, feel the feelings. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's so good. So good. Well, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. Oh, I was like, mm, sorry. I'm alone here. Yep. All by myself. Emily's just really good at. Gonna um, drink all by myself. Like usual. I was going to say, Emily is just really good at changing her voice, so it sounds like there's two people here, but it's just her. Kelly's a made-up person. Watch me while I now do Tom Hanks. I'm not going to do Tom <laughs> Hanks. I don't think I could if I tried. <laughs> oh, I can't I can't do a lot for voices, except, like, it's it's not even a specific voice. It's just something weird. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. that that's it. I just get weird. Oh, all right. Well, thank you so much for uh, tuning in for another episode. And then before we get started, we have a long overdue shout out to one of our listeners who is honestly, okay, do you ever, do you ever tune into a TV show that everyone has been watching forever? And you're like, okay, they're in the eighth season, but I'm going to start watching it. And then you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Like, I can't believe the bomb exploded and that guy and Meredith right. almost died. Yeah. And like, you know, it's where it's like, okay, everyone already experienced this and kind of moved on, but you're, you're experiencing it for the first time. So one of our listeners who started from the beginning when we were quite a bit into this, um, has reached out to us a few times. Which we always love listeners so, reaching out. Hey, Peggy. Hello. I love her so much. She's so wonderful. Uh, I'm going to try to pull up her message, but Kelly, if you just kind of want to give a little rundown of like Peggy and how she'll, like she'll just kind of like, she, like randomly messages me like, okay, so I just listened to this episode and it could be like from a year ago or two or yeah. something. It was like, oh my God, I totally get what you mean by that. And I just, I love it because really we wanted this podcast to be like a, like, like a, a conversation. conversation. And I'm like, oh my God, we are having a conversation with Peggy. In, in like the best way possible. In the and, best way. And in what I also love ways. is. Peggy will will come in and be like, okay, so I just listened to this episode and this is how I feel about it. But then she's also like, and here's what's going on in my life. Yes. And I'm like, yes. I'm, I'm like, like Peggy, please tell me everything. Please never stop sharing with me and us ever. 
yeah, we we always appreciate like any listeners reaching out, and yeah, it it is it is kind of nice. Like it it sparks nostalgia in me when Peggy anytime Peggy sends us a message, yeah, because I know she hasn't caught up, so it's always like I'm on this episode, and it just I don't know, like warm fuzzy feelings in the best way. Well, and also it's been really nice to kind of see how we've grown and like she's listening to us grow as a podcast. And I hope other people are having that experience, but something in particular that uh, she wrote to us a while ago that just absolutely made me lose my mind. Um, Let me, let me find it here. Pour my one into glasses. I really liked that. I'm, I'm actually, I told, I told Kelly, I was like, it's going to be bad, but in the best way, but like it's 100%. I love it. I mean, it's like, I've thought mine were bad and you're like, that's amazing. Oh no, no. yours are so good. Okay. So my favorite message from Peggy, because there are a lot, as I just found out when I was trying to scroll through and find the one. Um, and we do have permission to give her a shout out and like read this. So Emily for exclamation points. OMG, honey. I just listened to the episode where you said you and your ex broke up for tear, like for crying emojis. I'm sorry. I know I'm like a year late because this was, this was actually over a year after we broke up. She's like, I know I'm like a year late, but I just heard it. I love you and you're so strong. IDK, what else has transpired? But I hope you're happy in all you do. And I just had to, and like, I don't know. It was like, oh my God, I experienced the end of a six year relationship on this podcast. Yep. And I talked about it and I kind of forgot. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's a good thing or Well, I mean, it was. I, I sometimes I forget how much we share. Oh yeah, on this podcast, it really it like and has I just, become like a conversation over time. And I was like, I I was like, oh my god, like you know, spoiler alert, I'm in a happy, healthy relationship, and Peggy, that's still going, so we're good here. Um, but it was kind of one of those things where it's like, oh my god, looking back, it's like I've come really far, and it's kind of. I don't know the the idea that like our listeners might be kind of going on that emotional journey with us and are yeah. like rooting for us. It just, it made me so happy. Yeah. And I was like, it, I don't know. It was, I was like, oh my God, other people are experiencing that moment in my life in a totally different way. And like, I get to, I get to tell them, Hey, spoiler alert. It all worked out. Everything's right. awesome. Everything is so much better. Yeah. So that was, that was really cool. And that was a message I didn't ever expect to get. Yeah. (laughs) So thank you, Peggy. I feel validated. I think one of my favorite messages from Peggy. So this was, I have to think of what month this was. So this was from June, but Peggy was like, I'm listening to episode 160 and Emily talks about, um, not being forced to listen to your show unless you're on a road trip and forced to learn about history. And Peggy goes, so I took my two nieces on a road trip. Because where, Peggy's a really good aunt. Right. Where she's like, where we Bluetooth your podcast the entire way there and back. And so I nearly pissed myself laughing when she said that. She said, just so you know, by the time we hit Springfield, Illinois, my niece and I were in sync with your bye. I love it. Also, Springfield... 
That's the capital of Illinois where I'm from. That is the capital of children of the corn. Yeah. So that was also really delightful. So, yeah. I wonder if they drove through any of the Illinois places that I mentioned in the last, like, couple episodes when mm-hmm. I went. I went hardcore for Illinois. I, like, I went I full corn, full corn cob. It had the juice. The whole lump of knobs. That's such a weird song. It's so good, though. I also felt really, really in tune because, uh, like, with what the young people were into, because I heard it. And then uh, I was, I was like, taking Q to school one day, and we were driving past all these cornfields, and she goes, it's corn! And I'm like... It's got the juice. And she goes, it's got the... And we, we started singing it together. I'm like, I feel so hip right now. <laughs> I felt so not hip the first time I heard it. It was when I was in St. Louis for a, like a Ludo concert. And Ludo didn't sing it, but... Oh my God, can they, you imagine? They had like a... I mean, I, yes, I could. I could 100% <laughs> imagine them putting that in their repertoire. Um, but um, they had like a comedian that also like played the ukulele and stuff as one of their openers but beforehand like she was playing like outside on, on like the street where like the merch was and she started singing that song and I'm like what the fuck is this and Katie's like wait you've never heard this song oh before God. so then she like plays me the original and like I was like why is this song so good I do love that your first interaction with that song was hearing a comedian on the street play it with a ukulele yep. And that's where you were outed yep. as being out of touch. <laughs> I was like, God, I'm out of touch. What a wonderful moment for you. That being said, Katie is like that. That the friend you're talking about, she's way more in touch with every. Like she, she like she loves TikTok. She's in with the hip crowd. She gets it. I fucking don't. Ew. I'm so tired all the time. I don't have the energy. I'm just, I'm just trying to get through every day. <laughs> Anyway, speaking of getting through the day, we have wine. (laughs) Yay, wine. So, Kelly, do you want to tell us about the wine? No. Or do I have to tell? I I don't remember who's talking about the wine. I mean, technically, it's my wine. Um, So... I think we bought, we bought like a box of wine. It was like probably a year, probably two years, let's be honest. Um, And it was clearly a spring box of wine, um, but it's called Bloom and Blossom. And the one we're drinking today is a Pinot Noir and they're little tiny bottles and they're adorable. And it says, I'm sorry, we're in the middle of January in Minnesota. I think the last time we drank this, we were also in the middle of winter. Yeah. It says, spring is in the air and new blooms tell the tale of a change in the weather. To help celebrate, we invite you to enjoy the best of the season. Oh, okay. That's, they're talking about the box, not the actual wine. But that's fine. Perfectly crafted to welcome all the, that is new and to share with family and friends. Family and friends. That is what you are to me, Kelly. Ooh. I sound like a... Oh, that was, that was some sexy ASMR. Yeah, they're little... Those fucking hot. Yeah. Glass bottles? Yeah, they're glass, glass, but they're twist-offs. And that that crack, it was like so satisfying. It was like a perfectly pulled piece of Velcro. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to Peggy. Peggy. (laughs) Please never stop messaging us. baby. Baby Hold on, Holly. I want to do it one more time. Oh, my God. That was the cutest thing. I want to keep these bottles around. I want, to like... I want that to be my text notification sound. Now, maybe when my phone makes noise, I won't like 
shrivel up into a husk. Like, remember when we used to personalize ringtones for every single person on our contact list? And now it's like my phone has been on vibrate since 2012. Yep. (laughs) It's good. Mm. It's kind of spicy. Yeah. Like, I like it, though. Like, for, like, a Pinot Noir, it doesn't taste too much like church wine, like, not in a bad way, but it's got kind of a spice to it where it's, like, church wine, wearing a leather jacket, <clears throat> or, like, wearing a suit jacket with jeans, so you know, it's cool, man. It's just casual, whatever. We can rap about God. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, kids, have you heard the word? The Lord is the word. What? What? I might need to leave this podcast. (laughs) The Lord is yeet, y'all. YOLO. Unless you believe in God, in which case you live forever. (laughs) In the kingdom of heaven. I would make such a good, bad, like, church adult. Who's like just, who's trying so hard to make it cool. Way too hard. I would, uh, I want to play that character on TV now. That would be so much fun. All right. Well, Kelly. Emily. Wait, who's going first? Me. Oh, thank God. I was like, (laughs) I thought you were going first. Shit, shit, shit. No, I definitely am. Oh, thank God. To make you freak out. You do, because you know I never actually know what's going on at any given moment. It's funny, because like, that's how I am in like 90% of my life. But for some reason, like when it comes to recording this podcast, I'm like, no, I know what's going on. Well, it's funny, because there are podcasts I listen to, and like, I'm I'm a binger. I binge podcasts. So when they're like, oh, who goes first or what episode number is this? I'm like, how do they not discuss this beforehand? And I'm like, oh, because I also or or we do discuss we do it beforehand discuss it. and you still ask. And I still don't know what's going on. That, that, that sometimes is my favorite. Oh, my God. Yeah. So uh, so the hotel where I work, a lot of our guests are patients at the clinic and some of the places will still ask you to wear a little sticker on your shirt that says what day of the week it is. Yeah. So that way they can make sure, okay, this person did sign in and do like any temp checks or whatever we need to do. And they're good to kind of come and go throughout the day. And they do not have weapons on them. Yeah. Is that what it is? Okay. Um, I thought it was a co- like a post COVID thing. I mean, it was, they did it during COVID to make like, cause you know, you weren't allowed to wander around the hospital and then, yeah. and then it, yeah, they've done it post COVID partially as a, like, this is where you're at, but also it's partially like, yeah, you've gone through security. Okay. They know you're supposed to be here. Well, I see a lot of guests. I'll still be wearing the stickers at the end of the day. And I'm like, you know, I know they're kind of a pain in the ass, but I just want to say as someone who never knows what day it is or what century she's living in, I really appreciate just looking at someone and then being like, it is Wednesday. <laughs> It's so reassuring. So, Kelly, who are you whining about? I'm too busy shaking my head at your... It is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Although today I thought it was Thursday and it was Friday, so that was actually really nice. Yeah, I was going to say, at least it's it's always worse when it's the other way around. When oh, you're yeah. like, oh, it's Friday, and then you're like, fuck, no, it's not. It's, oh, it is Wednesday. And then you just shrivel up into a, you know, into a husk and, yeah, the wind blows you away. I'm too big for the wind to blow away. (laughs) Not when you shrivel up into a husk of existential dread. Because there's one more day in the week. 
Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So I am whining about Marie Van Britten Brown. Marie Van Britten Brown. Britten Brown. Brown. Is that hyphenated or is Britten no. Brown like a full thing? Full name. I love it. Miss Britten Brown. I mean, I do think, I mean, Brown is definitely her married name, but they didn't hyphenate. Yeah. So I, okay. If I ever became a teacher, I, I don't care what my last name is. I'd be like, the, the kids need to call me Miss Britton Brown. Cause I just want to hear a bunch of tiny voices go, Miss Britton Brown, Timmy's eating glue again. I'm like, cause Timmy fucking gets it. The world is a wasteland. Let him get high on non-toxic glue. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know if I want Emily Leave teaching Timmy my kids. Leave Timmy the fuck alone. Leave Timmy alone. But no, I that just sounds like a great teacher name, doesn't it? Or it like does. like a series of children's books, like Miss Piggle Wiggle, like Miss Britton Brown, The Adventures of Miss Britton Brown. <laughs> so do you want to hear about what she actually did? No, I already oh, have okay. this fantasy in my head and I don't want to let it go. No, please All tell right, me. Emily, go ahead then. Please Who are you tell me. About? <laughs> I'm just like, nah, I'm letting it go. Tell me about Miss Marie Britton Brown. So, uh, Marie was born in 1922 in Jamaica, Queens, New York, which I was like, I didn't know there was a subset of Queens named Jamaica, but apparently there is. I I was going to say, there was. That is not how that I thought that sentence was going to end. Right? (laughs) I I had to do a big mental switch as to where we are. Um, uh, Marie's father was born in Massachusetts and her mother was born in Pennsylvania and they were both African-American. Okay. Um, unfortunately, not much is known about her early life, which is like for 1922, you'd think there would have been something, but apparently not. Um, I We do know that she didn't have any siblings um, and it was just like her parents. I think her and then I think her grandmother was around as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know her grandma saw some shit. Oh, yeah. Her parents also probably saw some shit, but yeah. you know grandma had some stories. Um, I I couldn't really find anything about, like, education or, like, literally anything like that. Could you find a photo? Yes. Thank God, because I am not doing that again. <laughs> that sucked. I was so angry. I felt really bad because I said I I would do it, and then I my yeah my brain was like just kidding, and then I saw you posted it, and I was like oh okay. Well, I just thought it was funny that we both happened to cover women that same week who did not actually have photos. Yeah, I'm like, are you? What the fuck is happening? We have been doing this for too long, and we're never gonna stop, right? Because healthy choices are for other people. Exactly. So, um. We do know Marie got married. Um, that it, I'm not going to do the whole, like, that's when her record started. Because it's really not. Like, we just know she did get married. Yeah. She was married to a, na- a man named Albert Brown. And they, they would go on to have two children together. Um, they lived in a small house on 135th Avenue in South Jamaica in Queens, New York. <laughs> they divided it down. Okay. Um, so, South Jamaica was a predominantly black neighborhood that sat across from the Belt Parkway 
um, from Idlewild Airport, which is now John F. Kennedy Airport, but it okay. wasn't at the time. So I kind of like Idlewild. I do too. But I'm like, also, why did we change that? Well, I will say, um, if I am flying in or out of an airport called Idlewild, I'm not going to trust anything that happens there. It should definitely be what they should rename the Las Vegas airport to Idlewild. Idlewild. Oh my God. I love it. That actually, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Get on that branding team. Exactly. Cause you can, you can, I mean, you can freaking gamble in the um, airport. Like you walk off the gate, you walk off your plane and there's slot machines. Yeah. Um, it's like when you go to Hawaii and they give you a lay, you go to you go to Vegas and they give you a gambling problem. Yeah. So her kids were were named Albert Jr. and Norma. Mm-hmm. Just in case you wanted to know. So Marie started off her career working as a nurse, pretty typical for a woman in the 1920s, 1930s at this point probably. Her husband Albert was an electronics technician. So due to this, particularly being a nurse, um Marie worked really long and kind of odd hours. You know what I mean? Like she she would leave home early, get home late. And her husband, too, would work a regular hour. So she was often left home alone at night. I hate it. Yeah. And you think about where this neighborhood is located, like across from a friggin' airport. Oh, <laughs> like, my yeah. God. So it was known that the crime rate in her neighborhood was, was incredibly high and that it took a really long time for the police to get there, which which was a very common thing, unfortunately, in black neighborhoods in the past. I, I was going to say, is this if this is a predominantly black neighborhood, yeah. it's like there's, there's either we don't care when something happens because there's always something happening or there's like over-policing where it's like, oh, you're existing. Yep. We're going to like fuck you up. Well, plus I think, if I remember right, like, the airport isn't, like, centrally located, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, usually airports are, yeah, it's like, I'm, I had to pull up a map, because I'm like, I don't know New York well enough. <laughs> so, on, like, the island of Long Island, yeah, it's like, it's, like, at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, it's probably also just kind of out of the way, depending on, you know, like, depending on where, you know, the the closest police station is located, yeah, and I mean, this is the 1920s. There wasn't 911 at this time. It, that wasn't until, like, the 70s, I think. I do believe they had, like, some generalized way of contacting the police, but, yeah, like, 911 was not a yeah. thing. Yeah, there, there, yeah. It there was, probably wasn't, like, dispatchers. You probably had to call, like, your local precinct. Yep. Um, and honestly, like, even in a safe neighborhood, like, I... As a woman who lives alone, like, I still get anxious. Like, oh, yeah. I'll hear something and I'm just like, okay, tonight's the night I have to ki- fucking kill someone, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. like, oh, tonight's the night I have to fight for my life. Let's do it. All right. Right. Like, when Justin's gone for an expansion, and all of a sudden the dogs start barking at nothing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, what, what, <laughs> getting the knife. That is the fucking worst. Because I'm like, okay, it's one thing for me to hear something and be on alert. It's another thing for, especially when I don't hear anything and the dogs are freaking out. I'm like, what? I'm like, please, God, let it be a ghost because I can't handle a real person right now. (laughs) Right. You're like, I would much rather deal with a non-corporeal entity. Yes. Anyways. So, so what did Marie do? What, What did Marie do being like, okay, like I'm often home alone at night. I live in a shitty neighborhood. She developed an anxiety disorder. That's what I did. <laughs> uh, no, she decided to 
come up with a way to figure out who was knocking at her door without having to open it. Okay, I, I just I just want to pause for a moment. I have I just had one of those like moments of realization and clarity where I was like, oh my God, someone had to invent that. Someone, there was a time where it wasn't commonplace to be able to peek out your door. This is not a people. It's not? No. Okay, but still, like the just but I, yeah, like, I t- exactly. I, like anywhere you go, you can always kind of like peek out somehow before you open right. the door. And this is also at a time where people are constantly coming to your door. Like nowadays, if someone's knocking on your door, you're usually expecting them. And if you're not, you just you just don't answer it. Like, yeah. no, that's how you that's how murder happens. Right. Um Okay, I'm I'm loving You're this. on the right track. Though. I'm on but like I don't know, just the I'm like, oh my God, I've never I, yeah, I the never fact that someone had had to be like, maybe we should put a hole in our door. I never so even thought of it. that. I yeah. never I God, I'm we're so privileged. Yeah. So yeah, Marie would invent the first home security system. So she she took it above and beyond just a people. This fucking bitch. Yes. Right. So I I just want to like pause briefly to remember like we have absolutely no idea what her education is. This is definitely not her field of study at very least. She is a nurse. And at the time she was 40 years old. So, I mean, clearly that means there's still hope for me to do something with my life. <laughs> Says the person who just got her master's and has achieved her dream of working as a therapist. But I like think about that. Like we cover people that was like when they were 14 years old, they chased off Confederate soldiers by having their siblings march around in a circle. And I'm like, what am I even doing with my life? At 14 years old, I was uh, listening to cut my life into pieces and and, crying in a corner. Yeah. And the depression was really getting weird with it. Exactly. (laughs) The depression was really starting to develop into something uncontrollable and detrimental. Yay. If only I had, you know, English soldiers to like scare away with my 20,000 siblings and parlor tricks. That's like a, that's a deep cut. That's like episode one. Cause that was Sybil Ludington, right? Who like scared yeah. away the English, <laughs> yeah. the English soldiers during the American revolution. I'm, I'm glad you got my call back. Oh but no, yeah, that I, was episode. Yeah. One or two, I think it was one. And I will never forget our first episode. Um, I'm sure most people listening now have never listened to it because the audio <sighs> is so terrible. bad. I know that when we have some free time, which is probably going to be never, but you know, if we ever do my, my goal in, in life in, in this podcast is to eventually re-record those. You know, not we, necessarily replace the originals, but like put them out there and be like, okay, episode one, better audio. Yeah. Well, we have an anniversary coming up. Yeah, we, maybe. All right. Um, okay. So yeah, this is, this is a tie. Like she, she's in her forties as far as we know, she does not have education related to technology. I'm sure technology. she has like basic, high, well, I'm assuming well, high school education and then nursing school. Well, no, no, no. But I mean related to like yeah. this field. Yeah. So in 1966, Marie, along with the assistance of her husband. So I, I want to emphasize that like he did help, but it was, it was her. So she invented a security system, which consisted of four peoples, a sliding camera, Television monitors inside the home and a two-way mic and two-way microphones. 
Oh my. So she went like all out. Oh my fucking God. So these items for, for, I mean, I, I, I knew, but I like, yeah, for these items, create a closed circuit television system or CCTV, which is super common today that almost you think of like big brother and like all the, all the cameras, almost all of them are CCTV. The UK is covered in CCTV. Exactly. Yeah. And that's all it means is closed circuit television system, Mm -hmm. which means like all of them are connected to one thing like uh, like banks each have their own cctv system usually schools usually have a cctv system you know like oh individual of each other see i thought it was like you see the tv and the tv allows you to see so it's a cc tv they see you and you see it yeah it's a cc you're doing like the the fingers and the eye thing i mean that's what i do every time i see a camera i'm like Anyways, so be, with the with the four peepholes and the sliding cam and with the sliding camera, that means that her system was able to capture people of different heights. That was the point of having four. That's so cool. that you can see like if it's a child versus if it's like a six foot tall man. Yeah. You know? um, Watch out for those kids though. They're short but they're fierce. Right. <laughs> Never let a kid in. Yeah, exactly. And then the microphones obviously allowed Marie to be able to communicate with the person outside. And that played a really vital part of her invention because then then she could ask people like, what do you want? Why are you here? And all like all the questions that normally they would be like, well, open the door and I'll tell you. She's like, no, t- I, can, I can see you. Tell me what the fuck you want. Oh, my God. So you can like, scream I, that. I've done that with my ring doorbell before. Where yes. like so, I've seen someone waiting outside my house and no one's home and I'll like. Click the talk button. I'm going to be like, uh, no one's home. Can I help you? <laughs> Actually, I usually don't say no one's home. Yeah. I just say, can I help you? And they're like, oh, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, <laughs> go away. Have you heard the word? God. God's the word. <laughs> bird. YOLO. Bird, bird, bird. Unless bird, you bird, believe in God. In which case, you'll live forever in the uh, kingdom of heaven. What? What? Okay. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag forever life hashtag the kingdom that in the glory are yours now and forever oh. amen no the, hashtag amen is separate emily come on <laughs> hashtag amen hashtag christianity hashtag the lord is my shepherd i shall not want <laughs> okay um so, like, as I said earlier, Marie lived in a very high crime rate area. So, you know, this allowed her to feel much more safe because she not only could she see who was there without opening her door, but she could also then talk to who whoever was there as well. Yeah. So, of course, after she invented this, her and her husband, it took about three years from when they, like, started inventing it to doing this but they they did receive a patent for it and oh that my God, that's awesome. if you open my notes that's like the the picture i put at the top is mm-hmm. is the drawing of the patent and it, so it, it has all like the intricate details and everything's numbered but it's funny because it's like a woman laying in bed like turning on the cctv and then there's like i don't even know how to, like a, a guy a really weird looking guy in a newspaper cap with like squinty eyes at the door <laughs> i'm like <laughs> all right <laughs> I actually love that visual so deeply because really that that's the dream is that like you're chilling in bed in your sweat. Yeah. Someone's at your door. You're you like, don't, who the fuck is it? You don't get dressed. You don't put on a bra. You don't even go to the goddamn door. You just see the person and tell them to go fuck themselves exactly. from bed while eating Cheetos. Yeah. 
Yes. So she, the patent she received was U.S. patent number 3,482,037. Jesus Christ. So many patents. Um, what was really, really cool about it was that this was the first patent of its kind. And her name was first on the patent. So it was her name. And then like under her name as like a sub author was her husband. And you know what? Like, so okay. he fully was like, no, honey, this was all you take the credit. Yeah. And like, honestly, good job, Albert. Good job, Albert. Um, it's not, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's a little sad that we're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. But good for him. Yeah. Because there are so many, there are so many men who have taken credit for women's work, achievements, and intelligence, and it just sounds like Albert was a Especially really supportive. Like we've we've seen it so yes. many times in history, where it's like, well, her husband's work overshadowed her own, or he took credit for her work, or even if he didn't take credit, other people were just like, well, he didn't take the credit, but but it was definitely his work, not hers. And it's like, excuse me. Yes, yes. So I. I it sounds like Albert's just like a really supportive partner. And I'm really, I'm loving his vibe. Right. It sounds like Albert was like, honey, you want to be safe? What help do you need? Albert's a fucking king here because job, his Albert. priority is his, his wife and his family, his wife and his family and their safety and their comfort. Right. And he's supporting her creating this invention, which I feel like must have been almost a little absurd for the 60s. Probably. Like, I- I'm loving it. <laughs> ba 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 ba. Security. Nice. <laughs> um, TM, TM, TM. Yeah, exactly. So so she she was granted the patent, and then four days after receiving the patent, um, the New York Times would run an article on our invention. Oh, could not shut- find the article. I'm like, sorry. I'm sure there was, I'm sure I probably could have, like, gone to my local library and, like, pulled up old New York Times articles, but I didn't do that because I'm lazy as fuck. But, yeah, like... It was such a big deal, like this home security thing. That's what I assume. I'm going to hope the New York Times played that angle instead of being like, black woman receives patent. But I don't know. Um, New York Times, your article better have been about the freaking security system. I really want to know, though, like who at the New York Times is is like on the patent beat. You know, where they're looking at the incoming patents, like are any of these article worthy? And he sees this and he's like, this drawing is fucking fantastic. I right? also never want to get out of bed to answer the door. Yes. And I want to feel safe. Yes. yes. Four days after filing the patent, the, the invention isn't even really like, like it hasn't been commercialized. Nope. Like the, the we we have the prototype at the home and the patent and the New York Times four days after writes an article yeah. on it. Okay, so I, I did some very specific searching while Emily was talking, <laughs> and the article is is titled. First of all, is it, it was written by a person named Stacy. So while Stacy can be a neutral gender name, I'm assuming it was by a woman, and I'm assuming Stacey's that that's mom has got it going on. I'm assuming that that's why she was like, yes, I want to eat Cheetos in my nightgown. <laughs> like, I and watch who's at the door. I also often feel safe in my own right. home. Um, but the, the article is titled Audio, Audio Viewer Screens Collars. And yeah, like it, it kind of talked about um, that there was like a couple that lived in Jamaica, Queens that developed this system as a protective measure against crime in their area and that they planned to install it in their home and then kind of like talked about it. So yeah, like they, they did. Good job, Stacey. That's awesome. 
Um, wow. And then, yeah, it, it, it talked about how it also, which I didn't note, but it also did have like a, a radio controlled lock that could be unbolted by the house. Like they had the button to unlock the door. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. I don't have this shit in my own house. I do, but I'm fancy. Well, because you're an early adapter. Exactly. I'm like, but my rotary telephone still works just as good. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't have a landline. I don't because I hate people calling me. Well, and the other thing is, is I'm like, I don't even have cable. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to get a fucking landline for like 30 bucks a month. Like what is even the, like exactly. maybe if I had children, but the thing is I don't have children. I do not plan on ever having children. There is literally no reason to have a landline because me and my husband don't answer our cell phones as it is. I was going to say the, Sometimes when I'm at my parents' house and they have a landline and the phone rings, I'm like, what fresh hell yeah. is this? My, my my mom just recently got rid of her landline. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with that memorized phone number now? Oh, my God. I know. I still remember oh, my childhood yeah. phone I can number. rattle off my phone number. But it was also funny. Speaking of, like, not answering our cell phones. So, like, Justin's family has gotten accustomed to calling me. Mm-hmm. Because I, I actually, if I know, here, here's my caveat. If I know the phone number, although now that I'm a therapist, I tend to answer more. But generally, mm-hmm. if I know the phone number, I'll answer. But it was funny because the other day they called me. I know this is way off topic, but I'm almost done with my wine and, you know, I'm feeling good. But I, I think I was like in training or something and they called me. So I I, I hit ignore because I was like, fuck that shit. And then they <laughs> called Justin. Or maybe they didn't even call Justin. They might have texted Justin, but like something happened and they finally like were talking to Justin and they were like, well, I called Kelly and she didn't answer. And he was like, well, if you wanted to talk to me, why did you call Kelly? And they were like, you never answer. You know what? I was like, that speaks volumes right there. I knew how that story was going to end because that is not even the first time that's happened. They have straight up just called you being like, is Justin there? I know. And I'm like, call your son. Yeah. Okay. I'm too drunk for this. Go on. At first, like, obviously, like, a lot of homeowners and even home builders were kind of skeptical of this system. They were like, "Mm," like, one, like, that's a lot of work to put into this if we don't know it works. Like, there's going to be cost to it because it's running extra electric girl, putting in extra TVs, putting in microwaves, microphones, um, like, all this stuff. might emit microwaves. But, you know, like, there there was a lot of, like, doubt from home builders in particular. And Maria was like okay, fine. Like we understand there's doubts. We'll put it in our own home. And that way we like, we have like a demo model. And so they did that. And as they were working on that, Marie actually like expanded her innovation further, which is when that's when she added the ability to unlock the door via remote. And, um, she also was able to add like a button that could like alert the security system. Like, the police somehow. Oh my fucking God. Right? Like I tried to change the doorknob on one of my doors and after hours of futzing with it failed. Right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. And Marie. I mean, but I mean, that's exactly what it was is because she was thinking about like, as she was like, okay, now like I can, I can see who's at my door. I can unlock my door, but like, she's like, okay, all of these, all of these things, even though like, yes, it'll help me feel safer. If someone still decides to like break down my door, this isn't going to improve the emergency response system. So being able to have something that's like, okay, I can see who's at my door and they're super fucking sketchy looking and they're like doing shady things. 
I can press this button without them even knowing that I'm call like calling the police. It's like the bank. It's like the silent alarms at banks. Yep, this that's kind of what I get into next. This is so fucking high tech, and this is like just she's just a, like a lady in the sixties right. who's like, I don't feel safe in my home, which is a feeling that like. A, most women, if not all, can, can relate to. Exactly. A lot of, most people can relate to that. Yeah, like, I, I feel like most people at one point or another in their lives, maybe even when not when they're home alone, you kind of get that, like, feeling of, like, what if someone's in my house? Mm-hmm. You know, like, you get that, like, it's kind of paranoia, but it's also really not. Like, it, it but it's, it's yeah, that, like, here's the thing, base it's, fear. Here's the thing. The only difference between paranoia and healthy caution is whether or not something bad happens. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like checking the locks. Oh, you're being paranoid. But like you don't check the locks one time and like someone gets in your house. It's like, oh, well, you were really silly for not checking the lock, you know? Right. Like as long as it's not severely interfering with your life, check those locks. Yeah. So Emily, men- Emily mentioned banks. And although this Marie originally developed this system for domestic use, like for houses, for housewives in particular, a lot of businesses recognized just what Marie's invention could do for them. Even Marie herself kind of recognized like the innovation and w- was able to kind of be like, hey. So I guess in the New York Times article, she even said like, quote, a woman alone could set off an alarm immediately by pressing a button. Or if the system's installed in a doctor's office, it might prevent holdups for by drug addicts. So like even she started realizing like, okay, like, there are other purposes for this. Or yeah, you think about a bank, like you could hit a button and all of this stuff. And uh, Marie was even recognized by the National Science Committee and would receive an award. I could not find what the award was, the actual year it was given out or anything like that, but she Mm -hmm. did receive one. And this made her um, part of an elite group of African-American inventors and scientists actually like recognized for the things that they were doing that is so cool and And like like just to remember we have absolutely no idea what this woman's education is well and i just also want to be clear like maybe for our listeners nowadays this seems so duh because like for first this stuff became really popular in commercial use right businesses banks government buildings and now you know there are a million businesses where you can like use a sticker to put a camera on your door and control it from your phone this woman is doing this like unassisted and I, and I'm not saying like not with our husband in the sixties. She doesn't have Google to figure out how to do this stuff. There is no tutorials. She's just figuring this out on her own. And my, my guess, I don't know if this is true, but this is my herstory headcanon. Kelly's herstory headcanon TM Um, (laughs) is that she was like, my guess is she went to her husband and was like, this is what I want. How do I wire it all together? That's right. Because, because that's he what was, I do with Justin. Because he was an electrician, right? Exactly. He, or he was an electrical engineer. And like, that's, that's what I've done with Justin. Like I, I, I wanted, I was thinking about like this, making a website for something the other day. And I like, I texted Justin and I was like, okay, this is what I want. What do I do? And then he texted me back a few hours later and he was like, here's your, here's your website. And I'm like, Damn. <laughs> But just, still, like, like, just like every time we have like issues with the podcast, it's like, it's like, hey, this is our problem. And then he fixes it. And so I feel like that's probably what happened is that she was like, here's my grand idea. How do I actually wire it together so it yeah. works? Well, and that's, that's, I again, I love the idea of them collaborating together. Same. Like, it's so, it's so sweet. Right. Instead of him just being like, honey, I worked a long day. Like, it's fine. You're safe. Whatever. Yeah. You know. So... 
unfortunately, like after her patent, it was kind of one of those things that she kind of just like fell off the face of the planet again. God damn it. Um, and there really are no records. We know she passed away at the age of 76 in 1999. But obviously, like, oh, my God, even though people don't know her name, like her legacy continues. And that's why, like, she was on a listicle. I'll be honest. She was on a listicle. But I was just like, I'm. I'm sorry, a woman invented like the first CCTV. Like, how do I, how did I not know that? Right. You know, this is what, almost five years into doing our podcast. Like, how did I not know that? That's what I love about doing this podcast, though, is I'm constantly learning. Right. Like, there are days where I'm like, God, I'm going to like run out of women, like women with my judgment is like exciting stories, which I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm sure our listeners don't care how exciting the stories are. You know, but I'm like worried. I'm like, oh God, like we're not going to keep people interested, which like, I feel like half of this, the reason we do this is for us anyways, but that's Mm -hmm. fine. But yeah, like it came up and I was like, I'm sorry. Like one, I I am pretty technologically savvy. Like Emily said, I, me and my husband tend to be on the front lines of things, partially because of him, but partially also because of me. And so I was like, how did I not know that like the first patent ever for a cctv was for a woman not only a woman but like an african-american woman i'm like excuse me in the 60s in the 60s at the height of the civil rights movement right oh my god so unfortunately even though marie thought of a lot of those new innovations like the remote to call the police the remote to open the door they wouldn't actually get added to her invention until after she died but like i like i said like her legacy is still out there you yeah you think of any like modern home security system. Emily mentioned banks. Like she mentioned like doctors offices. All of these like modern day CCTV systems kind of have a have a foot in the door thanks to Marie's invention. And um actually what I love is I don't I don't I know absolutely nothing about patent laws or patents or anything. But apparently, like, her invention was cited in at least 32 other, like, future patents where people were like, hey, I'm using this patent as, like, a design to improve. Here's my patent for something better. So I love that, like, yeah, even after she passed and after, you know, things became more advanced, people were still citing her her original work of, like, hey, this is kind of where I'm starting from. And here, yeah, is my improvement on it i am so pissed that we actually shared the planet earth with this woman and we never got to be like so tell me about yourself like i know god damn it so like i was thinking about this the other day because like someone asked someone else like i wasn't part of the conversation but someone asked like oh like if you could sit down with anyone like who would you sit down with and i'm like you know, like when I was younger that question always seemed so easy or so stupid or so whatever and i'm like I have so many answers. I'm like, can I get a list? Can I go get like a list of every woman we've ever covered on my podcast? Can we do like like... a speed dating situation? (laughs) Except I want like 10 minutes with each person. So yes. Um, Marie's system is the foundation for video monitoring, remote control doors, push button alarm systems, instant messaging to security providers. So you think of any of like the major names today, ADT, ring like the google services all of those different things are all based in marie's design in some way shape or form um uh this also led to more prevalent cctv surveillance in public areas Mm -hmm. which is not always a great thing but at the same time it, it can be because 
think of how many people have been saved because like there's a TV and we can be like, oh, look, that's the person who kidnapped them. Yeah. Or you think of like people that would um, kidnap people and bring them to ATMs. There's ATM surveillance now. All of that thing. All of that stuff. And so, yeah, she had this very simple but innovative idea of I want to keep me and my family safe that has continued to be used by to help people around the world feel safer and more secure not only at home but out in public as well also i found out um that apparently the security business of that sort of thing mm-hmm. is a 1.5 billion dollar industry i'm not surprised i don't know i forgot to look at what year the article was written but it was a few years i think it was 2020 so it was a $1.5 billion business industry expected to triple by 2024. I'm not surprised. Well, here's the thing. It's becoming even more accessible. It used to be that yeah. you have to pay this, like, a really expensive alarm and com- alarm company. And now hey, you, you can just... like ADT. Yeah. Well, you can just go and then, you know, Dennis Rader goes and sets up your ADT stuff around your house. Yeah. And no, no one wants that. Um, but now you can just go to the store, buy a box, and set it up yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Like, it's insane. It's also insane that I haven't gone and done that yet because Jesus Christ, I need to get on my shit. All right. Oh my God. So Marie Van Britten Brown, the security queen. The security queen. It's incredible what kind of innovation can come from constantly feeling unsafe in your own home. <laughs> like, I like it's so bad, but it's so true. I love what came of it. Um, but as someone who has also felt like deeply unsafe, I, like I don't envy that feeling. It's a terrible feeling. Yeah. Hey guys, we know times have been tough lately for all of us. And during hard times, it can be difficult if you don't have anyone to talk to or it can be hard to talk about certain topics. Being alone with your thoughts can be isolating. This is why we are sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen to and help you. Talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Thank goodness. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to the help that may not be available in your area. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. That is Amazon fast. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential, just like with an in-person therapist. You can request a new therapist at any time at no additional charges. If you want to talk to someone about your mental health, you can get a 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash herstory. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash herstory. Well, Kelly, thank you for sharing that story. I, again, um, our, our ovaries are glowing in sync. Yeah. Because I am also covering an inventor today. Yay. Um, and the, the path I took to get to this woman was really interesting because my dad was telling me about some women that he's like, oh, you could cover the, cover them for the podcast. And he's describing this woman to me who was an actor, but also invented some kind of like sonar stuff in World War II. And I was like, oh, Hedy Lamar? He goes, no, 
And you're like, are you sure, Dad? And then he's like, no, no, no. I think it was Jean Tierney. And don't get me wrong. She's a really cool figure. Um, but she was also an actor around the same time, had a very similar look. And so I go on her wiki page. I'm like, Dad, there's nothing here about her inventing anything. Right, you're like, in World yes, War she II. was an actress, but that's about it. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, well, who's the woman that you think it is? And I Google Hedy Lamar and I find it on, her, on the wiki, like the exact thing he's talking about. I was like, yeah, you should like probably show him a picture. Yep. Yeah. Now, granted, they do look very similar because a lot of starlets in the 1940s. Oh. Yeah, they had like the coiffed hair. And- yep, yep. The dark hair, the light skin. All the photos are in black and white. Uh, and then he's like, you know, speaking of women inventors, uh, a woman invented binder clips. You know, like those little black clippies. And I'm like, oh, really? I- You're like, okay, I'm actually really interested in that. I've never thought about that. So I Googled them. A woman did not invent them. And he's like, well, there's someone whose son was really famous who invented something used in offices. Again, my dad, I am my father's Google because he's giving me all these vague terms. And I was able to like reverse search the woman that he was talking about. And that woman was Betty Nesmith Graham. So thank you to my dad who just like he's so supportive found me this person. Yes. But I just I love the idea that he hears about women who did cool stuff. He's like, I got to tell Emily about that. But he's also like, I get that from him where I'm like, I will remember every detail except the person's fucking name. Oh, same. Any identifying information? No, no. You're like, what? I need to remember identifying information. Oh, Um, what? You mean their name? No. Ew. People have names? What I'll, is this? I will literally remember the street they grew up on before I remember their name. So, we all make mistakes. And well, hopefully we learn from those mistakes, most of them cannot be undone. However, thanks to the genius of one woman, there are some mistakes that can be erased from the face of the earth, saving us and our dignity. Dun, dun, dun. Betty Nesmith's Graham, at the time known as Betty McMurray, was a 17-year-old high school dropout. She had withdrawn from Alamo Heights High School in San Antonio, Texas, which we have fucking been to. What's up, hey, Kina? To attend secretarial school. The Dallas native had her whole life planned out. She would marry her high school sweetheart, Warren Nesmith, and get a secretarial job, one of the few career options acceptable for women at the time. The, that, that or a nurse, baby. Yep. This Texas beauty had been born on March 23rd, 1924 in Dallas. Ooh, it's very close to my birthday. It is. She Is she also a Pisces? 23rd it's very very close might be she might be I was gonna say because I'm I'm on the cutoff at the beginning of Pisces season but you're like right in there but I know towards the end of the March is the cutoff I'm gonna keep talking Betty would prove to have a fierce sense of determination perseverance perhaps influenced by her having grown up during the Great Depression Betty was a doer and wouldn't let anything get in her way which would come in handy what you said March 23rd she she's just not a Pisces. Pisces uh, ends on March twentieth. So what is she? What's after Pisces? It's Aries. Aries. Oh my god, she's an Aries. This all makes so much sense now. Yeah, it does. Because I, Aries do. Pisces feel. Aries do. <laughs> so shortly after Betty and Warren married in nineteen forty two, Betty gave birth to their son Robert Michael, better known as Michael. Oh. And not long after this, Betty Bobby, became Bobby Michael. Mike. No, just Michael. Just Michael. 
So not long after this, Betty became a single mother when Warren was shipped overseas to serve in World War II. So like, I mean, you know, like being a single mother is hard regardless. Uh, There's an additional element of stress when you're a single mother because your spouse is at war. Right. Like you're a single mother, but your, your spouse is still alive. Maybe. Yeah. It's, I just, I can't even fucking imagine. Yeah. So the now... 18-year-old Betty. Remember, she's a fucking teenager. See, this is one of those stories that I'm like, I have done nothing with my life. No. Okay. I'm just going to say, I'm not giving Betty the like, wow, she's so ahead of the game credit for getting married at Damn, look at all these things that went horribly wrong in her short-ass life. Yeah. Short amount of existence on this planet so far. So the now 18-year-old Betty was left to care for and provide for baby Robert Michael while coping with the immense stress of having her husband serving abroad during wartime. Fortunately, Warren would survive the war and return home, but their marriage would not. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you get married at 17. Well, and like you think of like all the troubles he may or may not have come home with from the war and like dealing with that. And God, I I couldn't really find a lot about Warren. And actually, I I had to like go to a totally different Wikipedia page, not his own, but to like figure out like some stuff about him. But um, when Michael was only four years old, the high school sweethearts would divorce, which again, there's no shame in that. No, but. This is the 1940s, 50s. other people are placing shame upon it, probably. But it's also a really difficult situation because the social structure is meant to have a two-parent household in which the man is working and And getting an income and the the woman is taking... Exactly. So after the divorce, Betty moved back to Dallas with Michael to be closer to her family. And when you search for the most stressful life events one might experience, marriage, divorce, having a child, and moving are all on the list. And by the time she was 22 or 23 years old, Betty had experienced all of these and had been a war spouse and was now a single mother. Yeah, that's a lot. She's just barely old enough to drink. I, it's just, it's it's entirely too much. I'm like, absolutely not. I can I I can maybe handle one thing going wrong in a week, let alone like maybe. this many big, <laughs> massive, insane events happening yeah. before I'm like old enough to drink. Yeah, it's insane. And I like right, you can't just like grab a bottle of whiskey and drown your sorrow. <laughs> you can't just turn to alcoholism. No, you have a child to take <laughs> care of. So Betty would later reflect, quote, I didn't have a fellow at the time, so I had to do it my do it by myself. I had to appreciate that as a woman, I was strong, complete, adequate. I'm like, yeah, Betty. Fucking a Betty. And this is the 50s, you know, the the time that people in in the United States really like to idealize as like peak Americana. And it's like, "Mm." I just, I love her. Yeah, if you weren't a peak Americana, if you weren't a woman. If you weren't a woman or a person of color, and if you were a straight white man. Mm -hmm. So despite, oh, also a straight white man who wasn't, well, actually, you could be struggling with severe mental illness Mm -hmm. and then take it out on everyone around you, and And it was their fault. So despite the overwhelming stress, Betty persisted. She worked a variety of jobs to support her and her son, including clerical work, modeling, graphic design, um, and... 
In 1951, she finally worked her way up to being the executive secretary for W.W. Overton, the chairman of the board of the Texas Bank and Trust. Oh, fancy. I don't know anything about W.W. Overton. Um, I don't care, but I'm imagining him as Doug Dimidome of the Dimsdale Dimidome, like with the giant hat that you never see the top of. Very Texan. So though Betty was now now had about 10 years of secretarial and typing experience, she was not actually the best typist in the world. And this was a big problem during the age where typewriters reigned supreme. So at this time, all letters, notes, memos, communications, anything written down, they were typed out on a typewriter. However, unlike our computers of today, there was no delete key. If you fucked up, you, you done fucked over. up. Yep. One typo or misstroke on a document would render it useless requiring the document to be retyped and raise your hand if you would be fucked we both raised our hand yep the goal for typing was always perfection and like i'm a pretty good typist overall and i can even feel when i like do a misstroke yep but i can go with the delete key i can go with the backspace and it's not a big deal i would i because it was it was speed and perfection Ava's speaking, teaches typing. I can do one of those things. <laughs> I can do it quickly or I can do it well. I yeah, cannot that, do both. That's exactly how I am too. Like you get one or the other. Betty had been able to get by for the most part, but the transition from traditional typewriters to electric typewriters was difficult because there, there's like this technolo- technological learning curve and this further exposed Betty's weaker typing skills. As the executive secretary to the bank's chairman of the board, the pressure was on. Betty was making $300 a month as a secretary, which converted from like 1951 would be about 3,500 today. And as a single parent, she could not afford to lose her job. That like, that's it. If she's, if she doesn't have a job, that's it. They don't eat. Right. Then one day, as Betty observed the bank window paint, just decorating windows for the holidays, Betty got an idea. She purchased a jar of white tempera paint, which is a fast-drying water-based paint. Oh my gosh, I just realized what this person invented. Using a small watercolor brush, she began using the paint to cover up errors in her typing before typing over the newly blank sections to correct them. Damn, girl. It worked so well that her employers didn't even realize that she was covering up her mistakes. Which, in that case, are they really mistakes? Right? I think no. Yeah. Her coworkers, who were also struggling with this technological learning curve that electric typewriters presented, also fucking loved this idea and began asking Betty to get them their own bottles. Betty recalled, recalled, quote, everybody was enthusiastic about it, but I was still thinking about it mostly for my own use until an office supply dealer asked me one day, why don't you market that? Why not indeed? Yeah. Betty went Full classic side hustle, running her own business out of her kitchen. Like, like people say, oh, you, Bill Gates started out in his garage. Like she started in her kitchen. She's a single mom working full time and doing the side hustle. Like this is like quintessential rags to riches startup story. And I'm here for it. She began filling orders for other area secretaries and worked with her son's chemistry teacher to perfect the formula of what she would call mistake out 
in an interview with Texas. I love that. I know. Can we go back to that term, please? I want to I want to replace it with oh shit cuz that's what you say when you fuck oh fuck. Oh shit. Oh fuck. Damn it. Oh shit, fixer. <laughs> Don't say damn it. Just damn it. And you damn it with the with the white the paint yeah. and the, yeah, it's it makes no sense. So in an interview with Texas Woman Magazine, Betty said, quote, I want the product to be absolutely perfect before I distributed it, and it seemed to take so long for that to happen. Despite the popularity of Mistake Out, Betty was not rolling in cash. She worked full-time as a secretary during the day while working on marketing and showcasing her invention at night and in her off hours and working side jobs were at whenever she could. Her son, Michael, who was 13 around this time, would later describe how Betty frequently, quote, burst into tears of panic. The small family was living paycheck to paycheck, and Betty wasn't always sure where she would get the money for their next meal. I want to give Betty a hug. I know. I'm like, honey, I just I just want to babysit for you for free. Like, let me just. Can let I just, me help like, you. Can I just like take you out to dinner, please? In exchange for a ball of of mistake out, just just it's fine. Just let me let me buy you food, right? <laughs> so Betty, who again was making like three hundred bucks a month, couldn't even afford the four hundred dollar patent application fee for mistake out. So again, like that's one of the amazing things about people being able to get patents. They're expensive. I mean, there is also like a whole fucking like legal process. Yeah. So despite the overwhelming stress, Betty persisted. Quote, I was struggling against mediocrity. I felt that I was special and that I had something special to give, but I didn't know what that was going to be, she would later say. Despite trying to get large companies to market or carry her product, she was rejected at every turn, including by then tech giant IBM, which like, I'm sure Damn. they're still a big deal, but like in Rochester, they used to have that giant campus and now like 90% of those offices are rented out. So I don't know how like. Yeah, they went overseas. Yeah. No, I mean, IBM is still a big deal, but at this time, especially in the United States, like IBM was. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Quote, I felt very inadequate. I didn't know how I was going to do it. The problem seemed insurmountable, but I saw this challenge or I saw this challenge that I was to meet. Though large companies wouldn't acknowledge mistake out, sales were growing. And to meet the demand, Betty hired Michael and his friends at a dollar an hour to fill nail polish bottles with mistake out and then to cut the brushes at an angle for better application. This is so fucking homegrown, like business bitch shit. Fuck yeah. This is real business bitch shit. This isn't like the girl you knew in high school for three seconds trying to get you to sell Avon. Like, it's incredible. Um, so to put also to put this in perspective, this is in in today's money around ten dollars an hour, which is higher than the Texas minimum wage of seven dollars and twenty five cents in twenty twenty three. God damn it, Texas! Because that's also the federal minimum wage, and that's what they go by. Minnesota is not that much better, I don't think. I think we're like eight or ten or so. We, I think we're around ten something, but still. Then in 1957, Betty, who was building a business around erasing mistakes, made a huge mistake of her own. While working at the bank, she signed a letter, quote, the mistake out company on bank stationery. 
and she was immediately fired. Which I'm like, nowadays I feel like they would be like, hey, you, you fucked up, but like, please don't let it happen again. No, immediately it, it she depends, was fucking gone. Because like, if, if you were going to place it as like a non-compete clause, sometimes they're like, no, yeah. if you do any other work outside of working for us, we will fire you. Yeah. But so, it, sometimes it's if you do work that like inter- interferes with our work. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. No, it just, it sucks. And because you can tell like she's so dedicated to this and dedicated to making it work that like she's at her job and she just, she gets used to signing letters and notices and things like that as the mistake out company and she does that work. And yeah, she is immediately fired. So Betty's biggest income source was gone. But instead of succumbing to despair, Betty doubled down on her dream, working tirelessly to commercialize her product. And like that's that's something that's really interesting about Betty is that there are so many points in this story where it's like you're getting told no, it's not working out. You know, there's not like she invented this and it was great and everyone loved it. Like she's working so hard to get it off the ground and even suffering because of it. And she, but she still believes in it and she keeps going with it. And I I mean, I'm like, if I lost my, I'd be like, nope, nope, we're done here. So in 1958, Betty had further perfected the formula and re-released her product as liquid paper. It became so popular that she was finally able to afford a patent application and trademark that year. And to put this in perspective, IBM passed on the idea just the year before. So she's like at her lowest point. Fuck you, IBM. She rebrands and like she works out and she she's making more sales. She's able to afford a patent and a trademark now. So after a secretary trade magazine wrote about Betty's company and declared liquid paper, quote, the answer to a secretary's prayers, YOLO, unless you believe in the glory and the kingdom of God. General Electric, yes, that Fortune 500 General Electric, placed the largest first single order of 400 fucking bottles. And they they wrote that in the memo of the check, 400 fucking bottles. (laughs) And they capitalized fucking. It was in all caps. They had to make sure it looked good. Yeah. Soon after, other large businesses began ordering liquid paper in mass quantities, including... IBM. IBM. She should have been like, no. (laughs) No, dude, no. IBM's giving you money. You fucking take it. Oh, yeah, I know. No one is that proud. (laughs) So in 19... You underestimate me, my friend. Kelly is so bitter. If IBM offered to give us like a million dollars to keep doing this podcast, she'd be like, I know what you fucking did to Betty. I know what you did right. to her. Like, fuck you, IBM. And that's when I would go out on my own, a million dollars richer, minus one co-host. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly, I love you. I know. But like, I would on. not blame you, to be come honest. Come on. <laughs> So um, in 1962, Betty would get married again, this time to Robert Graham, a former frozen food salesman who used his sales skills to sell liquid paper to office supply stores across the United States. His expertise in sales helped the company grow even more, allowing Betty to move her business out of her kitchen and into her garage and then into a trailer and then into a house. 
The Mistake Out Company would post its first profits in 1964, having grown from selling 500 bottles per week to over 5,000 bottles per week. Like shit, shit started to go really well, really fast. Like all of that work that she was putting in and feeling like she wasn't really seeing returns on, it finally like all came together. By 1968, the Mistake Out Company, which would be renamed to the Liquid Liquid Paper Corporation. Which is still around. Like, that name still exists. Liquid Paper is still 100% a thing. Um, This was a million-dollar business, producing over one million bottles per year. And by this time, Betty had finalized the formula for Liquid Paper and trademarked it. So this meant that competitors couldn't replicate her specific formula. It was considered a trade secret. They'd have to figure it out on their own yeah or they'd have to get a tiny little green plankton to spend many many episodes of spongebob trying to figure out the secret formula years years (laughs) he never does it nope so the 1970s continued to be a time of growth and prosperity for betty's company operations were moved to a 35,000 square foot headquarters building in dallas not fucking cheap no that's insane and the I, I feel like a closet in Dallas. I, I wouldn't be able to afford cheap, it. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to afford it. I, I wouldn't be able to afford to get kicked in Dallas. Like I couldn't pay anyone to kick me. So and the company utilized an automated production plant to like keep up with all the demand. So she's going from like hiring her teenage son and his friends to fill old nail polish bottles and snip the brushes to like, now they have a whole fucking production plant. Liquid paper success not only allowed Betty to expand the company, but also allowed her to expand benefits to her employees based on her personal values. She she was very much all about like, working on yourself and improving yourself and and access to like education and like a lot of this like egalitarian stuff that you know a lot of businesses now in the year of our goddess 2024 still don't give a shit about so she established an employee library green space with a fucking fish pond wheelchair accessible facilities and this was long before like ada compliance was required um an employee-owned credit union, and and this this is the thing that blew my mind the most: on-site childcare center. Damn. What? Like, yeah, that that like wasn't a thing back then. It's still barely a thing today. So every benefit was meant to increase accessibility of work, education, to help employees grow as people. She took the pursuit of self-betterment seriously. Um, and she actually, you know, how at the beginning of the story, I mentioned that she was a high school dropout. Yeah. She went back and got her GED. Damn. She's making millions of dollars. She doesn't fucking need no. her GED. But she's like, I want it. I want, cause I want to prove that like, I, cause I want to prove that I can do it. Right. And that's a personal goal of hers. Like, I just, I think that's so cool. I would cry. I know. I love her. And like, just the, the emphasis on education and bettering yourself and then like she was a single working mother for so long who's working full-time with a side hustle so like I really feel like her having an on-site child care center was like her love letter to right. everyone I also think about like what this is showing her kid yes 
I am. Um, okay. So her kid, I'll, I'll get into that towards the end. So anyone who's like screaming at me, your time is coming. Calm down. This isn't his story. Um, but he does become very famous. I didn't oh, really sure. get into him and like who he is as a person. Um, it's not his story. It's not his story. And he's actually way more famous than his mom. Ugh. So it's fine. Like, I get it. That happens. But at the yep. same time, like that frustrates me. So Betty also established several foundations, including the Betty Claire McMurray Foundation, which supports unwed mothers, abuse survivors, and offers career guidance and scholarships for women. Again, all things, like, I, I I, couldn't find, you know, reports of abuse, but ser- these are still all things that she could have benefited from, and she never forgot that. She yeah. never forgot what she had to go through, and instead of being like, well, I went through it. Right. And I turned out fine. She's like, maybe she's what, like, let me help other people. What if people didn't too? have to fucking go through that? So Betty summarized her business philosophy as this quote, the true value in business is never in the dollar, but in the benefit that it brings to humankind. Money does not solve problems. Money is a tool. And I love this because she like she has this invention that is actually supporting people, primarily women in business, because the secretarial field was dominated by women. But also she's using her the money she's making from this business to employ more people and then give them access to like more resources. Yeah, I love her so much. So much. No, Betty is like, I'm like, can we have all the all the talk about a girl boss like no seriously this is the girl boss shit it's not mary Kay. it's not avon it's this shit right so other companies were taking notice of this success of liquid paper and one in on the market uh and in just over 10 years from 1968 to 1970 the number of correction fluid companies increased from three to 30 However, because of Betty's patented formula, liquid paper continued to rain because it was just fucking better. Because she'd spent all this time with her son's high school chemistry teacher figuring it out. So amazing. uh, She would she would end up running three production plants in the U.S., Canada, and Belgium, producing twenty five million bottles per year and exporting her product to thirty one countries. Then. Shit got dramatic. Burr, burr, burr. More dramatic. Well, it's like, been dramatic it, like on and off. It's been dramatic, but now it's very like relationship drama. Mm. So in nineteen, it, it, it's relationship and business drama. So in nineteen seventy five, Betty and Robert Graham divorced, mm. and divorce is already a messy affair. But when your ex husband is the chairman of the board of your company, things can get downright sloppy. Robert Graham convinced other executives to ban Betty from I'm the sorry, premises. What? Yes, the, the, this this screams like petty insecurity. It really does. And like, I don't know Robert Graham as a person, but this whole thing is ju- just feels very. That makes me so mad. It feels like bitter ex. So Robert very much so. Robert Graham convinced other executives to ban Betty from the premises, and in. Uh, and instigated a campaign to try and change the formula for liquid paper. Why would you change the formula for a product that's over outperforming competitors? Why mess you're with a perfection? Fucking idiot. Because if the formula changed, it would no longer be protected as a trade secret. He could sell it. Well, 
As the patent and the trademark holder, Betty was entitled to royalties from the sales of liquid paper. But oh, if the so it's trades, just all, literally all about Betty. If the trade secret protections were removed, she would no longer be entitled to any profits. Literally. This guy is an asshole. And like, here's the thing. Like, Can okay. Let's go back to talking about Albert and how he was such a good dude. Albert was such a, <laughs> such a king. But really, I mean, you know, it's one thing to be like, well, we had different business philosophies. And I thought that this was a better way to run right. the business. And maybe I was a dick about it. He's, he's just sticking it to Betty as an individual to the detriment of the company which I'm like where were the other members of the board when they're like this right, dude like, why just, are other people okay with this yeah this dude's just being super bitter about his ex and like maybe we shouldn't listen to him so at some point Betty also suffered a stroke because shit's not crazy enough so while she is wrestling for control over her company and invention with her bitter ex-husband, she's also suffering from failing health. Betty was able to maintain majority ownership of the company with a 49% stake. And in 1980, she sold the company to Gillette for $47.5 million. I don't think that's what she would have wanted to do. No. Um, I think she was just like, I can't let Robert tank what I have worked so hard to make yeah and also her she she's sick she's not doing well no you know she probably needs the money and it's like okay either I die penniless because he changes the formula and therefore I'm no longer entitled to any profits from my invention or I kind of, it, it's kind of like she has to destroy it and she doesn't even destroy it she sells it right but she no longer has control but she gets the profits from that sale and then Robert can no longer like hold that over her. But it's just, it's such a crappy situation that it feels like it didn't actually need to happen. Yeah. Six months later, on May 12th, 1980, Betty Nesmith Graham died from complications of her stroke at only 56 years old. So Damn. she sold her company and six months later she died. That's so young too. But I feel like that's also indicative of like how poorly her health was at the time she's going through all of that's this. True. Like I, it just, it, it, it breaks my heart because she worked so hard to get here. And it's like, ugh, it feels like she barely got to like enjoy it without a bunch of drama and bullshit. Right. Half of her estate went to her son, Michael, while the other half went to her foundations. And that's quite an estate. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> like a she. Liquid paper, whiteout, paper mat, correction fluid, whatever you call it, is still incredibly popular today and has advanced from nail polish bottles to pens and tape. And it's a staple of any office environment. And even with the transition from typewriters to computers, it doesn't show any signs of going anywhere. I literally used one of those like whiteout tapes the other day. Yep. Like, That's what I was thinking. Too. I was like, I just used some. Oh my God. Like it just blows my mind. Additionally, her sign of going from a high school dropout to a business magnate is an incredible story of success, gumption, and innovation. And like most of all, persistence, because there were so many other times through the story where I'm like, I nope. I would have noped out of that. Yeah, I would have like, been like, okay, fuck this shit. I tried. It didn't work out. I, I can't do this. I can't fucking deal with it. Which is why I'm never going to be a business magnate. And that's okay. Um... Betty's persistence, guts, and general badassery have left a mark on the world that not even a jug of liquid paper could erase. Mm. However, 
What she's probably best known for is not the invention that she brought to life, but rather her son, Michael. Yes, for all of you who were screaming at me the whole time, you fucking grannies and grampies. Betty's son, Michael Nesmith, was a member of the television movie group, music group, The Monkees. Oh, damn. Yep. And this is how my dad. The Monkees. And this is how my dad knew about her because he's like, oh, yeah, Michael Nesmith from The Monkees. His mom invented something and he thought she invented binder clips, but really it was liquid paper. Um, and Which actually, is arguably more impressive. I use both constantly. See, I don't <laughs> use binder. Like, I, I feel like I used to use binder clips a lot, but I feel like I don't as much anymore. I do a lot. I deal with a lot of paperwork yes, at my do. job now. So, yeah. Um, and actually I, again, I didn't really look into his story and I mainly went on his wiki page, wiki page to try and fill in blanks about like his parents and his life, you know, like in his mom's life and all that. And like maybe their relationship and that impact. And, um, he was actually not doing very well financially when his mom passed away and his inheritance saved his ass. Wow. Yeah. Because he had, he had, he. He seems like he was kind of like full of piss and vinegar in his own way. And he, yeah, he like left the monkeys early and he didn't have money. Yeah. And there, there, there was some other stuff. So he, w- he was not doing well. And then he inherited half of his mom's estate and that kind of got him back on track. So I'm like, and that's all she really wanted. Like, first of all, I think she had incredible ambition for herself. I think she felt that she could give more and do more. And that is one of the things that drove her to this. But also she was trying to provide for her child. Right. And in the end, even though she died so young and the end of her life was filled with so much drama and bullshit, like she did what she set out to do, which was to provide for her child as a single mother. And I, I don't know. I love that for her. But this story isn't about Michael Nesmith of the Monkees. So I want to end this with a quote from Betty that was recorded for an oral history interview with the University of North Texas shortly after she sold liquid paper and shortly before her death. The quote is on the next page. So for a second, I was like, oh, my God, like, did God I not? I forgot to put the quote. Did in. I not fucking put the quote in here? Okay. I find it such a marvelous period when you've been patient and stood your ground. And one day you see that growth has been going on all around you all the time. It's like a plant that is rooted in the ground. For a long time, you don't see much happening. But all the time, the plant is developing a stronger root system that reaches out to farther places. Hmm. And that is the story of Betty Nesmith Graham. That was amazing. Betty. Uh, the mother of mistake out. Mistake out. I I do kind of like that's such a like. Remember when they used to just call things like ba- like literally this is what it does, like a hanger. Like there there are still some of those things that we have, but yeah, oh mistake yeah, like out. Very obvious. Yeah, no, I I love it, but yeah, liquid paper is what it became. It's still a thing. Um, more commonly maybe known as whiteout. Also, she was selling this stuff in different colors too. Like when she sold, uh, when she had that like giant order from, what was it, General Electric? Yeah. It was like 400 bottles in three different colors. And I'm like, I'm sorry. But I I suppose like, yeah, sometimes companies use specific colored paper for specific things. Yeah. And so like you need the different colors versus like most 
most people would probably only ever need white, but like, yeah, companies that are like, okay, we have these blue slips for a very specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Damn, I didn't even think about that. Or even like different shades of white. You know, there's like eggshell. It's it's like that Ivory. scene. It's like that scene in American, uh, was it American Psycho where they're all whipping out their big business cars and they're like, eggshell, yeah. egg carton, Swiss coffee yeah <laughs> matt embossed with gold like they're all just yeah. like super horny about the different shades of off-white yeah. god so kelly my darling my dearest what are you thankful for uh, <laughs> oh god no, i'm joking uh what am i thankful for emily I am thankful. Oh, I just I just finished some training at work and I guess I was I'm very thankful and I had some next week. Different training though. But I'm thankful just for like the opportunity that my work like lets me have that and um like helps pay for it and stuff and you know, I don't know, I'm just really grateful. And I was just really grateful for the training itself. Like I knew most of it, but it was it was good to like have that reinforcement of like mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> No, that's awesome. And I, 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 you and I have worked so many jobs where it's like, just come in and do your job and then get the fuck out. Right. Um, I, I love that you have a job now that is like Betty's business also focused on you becoming a better and, you know, more whole and well-educated and capable person. Cause really when you invest in the people that work for you, when you invest in your own talent, like that that pays out significantly. Oh yeah, exactly. Like I've been able to do a lot of DEI trainings at my job and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm learning so much. And this is all stuff I've always been interested in and just kind of like learning on the periphery. And now it's like, Oh my God, a part of my job is to actually stay educated on this. And that is the coolest fucking thing in the world. Well, I feel like it just reinforces like, yes, this is, this is the job I want to be at, Mm -hmm. you know, because yeah, it's letting you explore your passions and stuff. And you're not even in your 40s yet. Putting yeah. cameras in your door. <laughs> With your husband. With my husband. Albert. Oh, God. Sweet Albert. Love Albert. Oh, yeah. No, he, he really he really shined in this episode. For all the similarities between our two women, there were definitely like the uh, the antithesis of Albert and Oh, yeah, definitely. Which Robert. is very interesting. Two Berts. Both the alike. Berts. Neither alike in dignity. There you go. Um, I am thankful because I had a I had a big presentation this week for work that I was very anxious about um, because it was to a community that I am not familiar with talking with, okay. and um, there was there was someone who was doing the presentation with me who was offering like translation services. And it's just something that I've never done before. Yeah, and I believe in you know, our program being more accessible to everyone, but I'm like, I don't have the capabilities of doing that. And like, I haven't been that. I I was, I was very anxious. I was very anxious for how it was going to go, but I think it went pretty well. And good. I'm glad. And I keep thinking of that quote from Adventure Time where it's like sucking at something is the first step to being kind of good at it. And I'm like, okay, this, this was the first of hopefully many of these kind of, you know, presentations. And I'm, only gonna get better yeah because I care about it and I'm trying to get better so 
it was it was kind of nice to also get it over with and like be in it. It's like okay, I've been having stress dreams about this all week, oh, but it's no. okay. Do, do you ever have that where yes. you wake up and you're like, I feel like I just worked eight hours. Yeah, because <laughs> like, I had God a damn it. Because I had a fucking dream about work. Can I bill for this? <laughs> I wish we could. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh my God. Right. Where it's like, I'm sorry. I already worked my 40 hours this week. Cause I had like I'm three, done. I had three st- stress dreams. You'll receive my bill in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. I fucked up at work and my house burnt down in my dreams. So. <laughs> well, oh, thank you funny. so much for listening to another stress and wine fueled episode of whining about herstory. Like us on Facebook at whining about herstory, Instagram at W A H pad. Our website is whining where you can find a link to all of those other sites. Emily just mentioned as well as a link to all of our episodes, our merch, our Patreon, where you can get bonus content for as little as $1 a month. Um, you can also buy me a coffee or rather buy me a bottle of wine for $5 where we'll get some kind of wine. Either you tell us to or matching your name or related to your country or somehow vaguely connected to you in some way. Or connected to a lion holding up a maple leaf while wearing a crown. Who knows? (laughs) If you live in Canada. What's up? Um, Otherwise... Rate us five stars wherever you listen because it gives us the warm, fuzzy feelings. Or even just reach out and say hi. Like Peggy. And Peggy. One of our favorite listeners. Honestly, like all of our listeners are our favorite listeners. Oh my God, literally all of them. <laughs> like when I see our download numbers, I'm always like, who the fuck is listening to this? I love them. Yeah. Because I feel like our insanity is on the same wavelength. Right. I know I always love when people are like, it's like listening to my two best friends. I'm like, you can you are my best friend well thank you so much for listening to another episode of whining about herstory i'm emily i'm kelly have an empowered day and peggy get ready with your niece Bye. bye